0: G'day network on this episode of the pilot network podcast we encourage and give you a few tools to tell your aviation story by way of the written word I'm your host, Adam Yuhan, and I'm joined by TPN Editor-in-Chief Jason Depew and pilot author Nick Narbidovsky to discuss the how-to's of becoming an author so you can share your stories in aviation. Jason and Nick make a great case that this will help make us all better pilots and, maybe even more importantly, record the very unique history of aviation since the turn of the century. I tend to agree. What are your thoughts? Please share them with us at community.thepilotnetwork.com to further the debate. We hope our conversation sparks your interest in storytelling. Now, onto the show, Nick Jason. Hello, welcome to the Pilot Network Podcast. Nick, welcome, Jason. Yeah, we you're just part of the posse, so it doesn't really matter, but I can. Hey, I it's just, good to be here. Good to yeah, well, be here get, anyway. It's yeah, there you go. That's that's <laughs> the attitude I want, Jason. Nice and enthusiastic. Well, guys, uh, it this is a really interesting and, and kind of unique podcast today because of all the stuff that's been going on over the last year and the stuff that's happened in historically speaking, over the many years, you guys are here not to tell the story of that, but kind of how to tell that story, uh, to all the members of, of TPN and and basically aviation professionals, uh, worldwide and how they can help do that. And, and we want to dive into that and talk about how you can tell your story so that the history of aviation is really carried on forth and maybe make a few bucks on the side doing uh that kind of thing so nick uh let's kind of delve into your background first a little bit so people can kind of get at the idea where you're from and how you came to where you are now trying to be a, be, a, be an author
1: absolutely uh thanks adam yeah uh awesome to be here i appreciate you all taking the time uh and i'm, I'm happy to to talk to other aviators out there in the world it's a uh, it's what it's all about so um I, uh, I went to the Academy and I uh, got graduated in 2008. Um, and then I went, I had a chance to fly uh, T6s and T38s at Laughlin Air Force Base out in uh, lovely Del Rio by the sea. If you haven't been there, definitely check it out. Uh-huh. Jason <laughs> shakes his head no. There, a- the airspace work. is fantastic. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and then I, uh, I got picked up directly into uh, special operations command to fly the U28. And uh, that was in 2010. Um, actually where i met uh, jason so uh, we both flew the u-28 for a while um, from there i went out and helped stand up the unit at cannon uh, uh, another great place where there's awesome airspace uh, took a took about a three-year uh three-year break to to head up to maxwell air force base and i, I taught at uh, the squadron officer school there for three years uh, which was honestly a fantastic assignment uh anything outside of the cockpit is going to have its its own ups and downs but uh, i got exposed to a lot of things that i just didn't know existed and that's actually where I I started writing uh, pretty heavily there. Uh, Most of that was with my uh, master's program and so I ended up writing a a thesis that was supposed to be 30 pages and I finally cut it down to 90 because I picked something that I knew about which was flying and airplanes and and the mission which uh, is a great way to write anything uh, is write what you know. So. and now I'm back down in Florida. I actually am in the same unit that I started out in back in 2010. So uh, the wheel has come full circle hmm. uh, and I'm continuing to write on the side, uh, not fiction and
0: nonfiction. So, yeah, I was just about to say, um, because you're an author and authors deserve plugs. What are you writing right now? That's uh, what, what have you, what have you released and what are you writing right now? That, that may have may generate a little interest. We'll give you a real formalized plug at the end, but do it in the front where everybody's listening.
1: Absolutely appreciate it. So I, um, i i've stumbled into into published writing and the, and the publishing side of things uh, almost by accident with um the uh the journal over the horizon so um some of the readers may be pretty familiar with that they, they publish a lot of stuff on joint all-domain operations concepts uh, not just the aviation side but uh i uh i ended up getting a piece published there which was my my first published piece uh, and then they published a short story that I sent them, like a fiction story uh, about um, a future conflict with a nation that is definitely not China uh, and us. So uh, it, was, it was a really fun way to explore a lot of these ideas and concepts that we just heard about in theory and people talking about the best way to do things. But like, what does that actually look like? How do you, how do you connect that to someone actually doing something and then on a level that the average person can, can relate to which led me to the project I'm in right now. Um, so my uh, my first full length novel comes out uh, in December. Um, tomorrow is actually the last day, so that's the the twenty second um, to uh, to get in on the pre orders. But uh, it was it's a book about um, all of the things that we're dealing with right now in the world, but set two thousand years in the future. So you can take some of the emotion out of it and really dive into a good story, fast paced story, but also things like wrestling with concepts around privilege, wrestling with ideas about growth and self-discovery and development and, uh, and all of the other pieces that, that really just make us human. Wow.
0: So that's, uh, awesome. that you're at, at this, you're right. That's heavy stuff. If you're looking at it in today's context, why, what, well, we, now we know that how, uh, you got into writing, but w- what made you want to write a book? What makes somebody go from, I wrote a 90 page yeah master thesis on aviation and flying stuff that I knew uh, operations in and out of combat to now I'm going to, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to write, well, first of all, I'm going to write a fiction short story. Then I'm going to go a bit, bit more grandiose and write a book. How did you get there? What made you want to do that?
1: Absolutely. So full, full disclosure, there was a little bit more of an on ramp. I wrote a whole bunch of short fiction, and uh, I, sent, I sent a whole bunch of short fiction stories off to, to some of the uh, the publishers that actually like pay money to people because Over the Horizon is, a, is an academic journal. So, um, And I got a very large stack of very nicely worded uh, rejection letters, which was great because they all came from the editors, which I was happy about. But uh, at some point, um, you you realize that like you like telling stories, you know, most people like listening to stories, like hearing stories, like people telling them about stuff. But I would argue that most aviators, if you sit them down at the bar and you give them beer, they're going to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not going to be a story you get to pick necessarily, but, uh, it's, it's still going to be a great story. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's what kind of fed into my desire to tell this story. It started out as just an interesting conversation on the, uh, on the couch with my wife about, um, what's the best system of government for a interstellar civilization, like normal things you talk yes, about on a injured, Friday night. standard
0: uh, <laughs>
1: Right. And, uh, and from there, you know, you, you build the world out, you wrestle with the concepts. And then once you figure out what the story is in it, like the people, you know, that that human connection, um, then it becomes a story you want to tell. And uh, when I finally figured out where this thing was going, it was completely by accident. I was just I think it was on like page ten. And all of a sudden, I could see the plot arc. I could see why it mattered. I could see all of the different pieces and how they would fit together and how these characters would change and grow. And that was where things just sort of started snowballing at that point. Um, I ended up writing about twenty five thousand words or so um, before uh, before the Christmas holidays. And then uh, right after that, uh, my new year's resolution was like i'm gonna I'm gonna finish this book this year. And I ended up writing the rest of it, another 70,000 words in about a month and a half. Wow. So it was uh, definitely a, a pedal to the metal.
0: What? So for the average uh, moron, aka myself, 95,000 words is the equivalent to how many pages? Uh,
1: that depends on the dimensions of your final book, something okay. I recently learned. So Standard, um,
0: soft. Or standard, uh, non-paperback. Or Michael, yeah,
1: paperback. Yeah, Michael yeah. Okay, so you're looking, you're looking about three to four
0: hundred pages, roughly, somewhere okay. in there. All right. So uh, you're you're right around that, uh, that Tom Clancy, maybe slightly shorter than like a Rainbow Six kind of, uh, or, or you know, Hunt for Red October. Well, Hunt for Red October yeah. is five hundred or six hundred. That's paper. a long book. And the words, the the font is, I think. And I have perfect vision now still, which is shocking at 42 years old. But I think I need uh readers to read that now because it is so I mean, that is a small, small print. Yeah. So That's
1: something uh, we're looking at doing actually is cutting it down to be a more digestible length. Cause if I were to publish it right now as is with all the the additions that we're planning on doing in the prologue, um, it would be what we call a door stopper. Or <laughs> if you got a door you want to keep open, you can just wedge that wedge that guy right in there and uh it'll keep it open. So
0: yeah, and you know I, I i don't know about you guys uh when i when i pick up a new author that i don't know who's not established uh it's it's very hard for me to want to buy or read that book when i see a like oh boy that's a tome and i'm like dude i don't know if i want to read that i don't know who this person is yet whereas if it's stephen king or if it's clancy you know what somebody who's established so michael Crichton you know the product that you're going to get is pretty is pretty gangbusters is pretty badass so it's kind of tough to Mm -hmm. to to navigate that the first time through i remember uh even though my favorite stephen king story ever novel it's not even novel it's one of his short stories is uh rita hayworth and the shawshank redemption it's only 140 some pages long it was part of the four Mm -hmm. seasons uh book but with that said it's amazing that you went down this road and you you started to think. I mean, what a great conversation starter! If I started that with my wife, she would be like, "Are you hot?" <laughs> I mean, no, I, I'm actually not. Uh, I actually want to know what you think about interstellar government two thousand years from now. And I'd say we could start with you know, let's look at the expanse and then move from there and, and talk about that. Uh, for those of you who aren't nerds, expanses the uh, the the, the best science fiction show on television right now. It's probably not quite Battlestar Galactica. Absolutely, but right now it cool. is the best science fiction show on television. Absolutely.
1: I had um, a uh, I had a beta reader describe my book as Dune meets The Expanse, and I thought that was like okay. Thanks for giving me the biggest possible shoes to fill. I appreciate
0: that. <laughs> uh, no, think of it this way: you he he or she was boosting your ego, dude. So yeah, there you go. Take it as the ego boost that you that you deserve for writing the book and go from there so i mean that right there that comment alone drew that draws my interest so i that i'm like give me come on where's my where's my pre-order copy of this so yeah. i can, I can <laughs> delve in uh one of the things for fiction okay so i think non-fiction this question is fairly easy um but for fiction i think it's much different is how would one okay adam wants to write a book which we kind of talked about in the pre-show Adam doesn't want to write a book right now, maybe someday, but not right now. He's not really interested in, in writing a book. Um, and mainly because I nonfiction to me, I don't have any interest in writing a nonfiction book right now. Uh, I am much more interested in the fiction side. I think I've burned myself out on nonfiction, both reading and then doing kind of the podcast stuff. I don't have any interest in doing that. But the fiction side to me is fascinating how do you gain expertise or insight we all know how michael crichton did it but that's michael crichton for i mean the dude went to medical school and yeah. then wrote a fiction book on what he experienced and then he quits medical school and goes on to write you know how do you how do you get smart about jurassic park so how did you do how did you gain that insight did you have like an intentionality to develop all this stuff beforehand were you kind of running with it as you go i mean you wrote 90 some thousand words in like a couple of a couple of months so how do do you do that how do you package all that together
1: so um and this is where i think like the background in aviation really helped me out was that um something that that we as aviators are really good at is like learning the new thing you know when the new honeywell box comes out you read the manual you know which switches to flip and and away you go right um and so i kind of took the same sort of attitude towards this um it helps that i was in an academic environment at work too, where I was surrounded by other people with like PhDs and stuff. And like when I would take my lunch break to go do some research, it wasn't considered weird. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, if you take the same approach you would to learning a new aircraft, learning new systems, and and just kind of dive into um, how do I both understand the theory behind it and then practice the application of it. So. Uh, just like when I was in, in initial qualification, they had the the letter codes where they'd have a, a number and then a letter, which was your knowledge and your ability to execute. So like mm-hmm. a three C would be like good enough, right? Um, I kind of took that attitude towards it, and I just went and found as many different sources as I could to uh, to how to write how to write science fiction specifically. But I didn't you know, want to like limit yourself to to just that because
0: mm-hmm.
1: you'll miss out on a lot. Um, I wrote a book called uh, How to Read Literature Like a College Professor, which you know, free free plug for them. That was a fantastic book. It was funny. It was engaging. Uh, it was quick. So it's not like you're slogging through a textbook. But I learned a whole bunch about that. Um, Robert Silverberg had a great book about uh, writing science fiction. It's called Worlds of Wonder, um, and he had some, some awesome stories from like the Golden Age that he would just tell you why the story is good, tell you what the author did, and then you would get to go read the story. And this was a An older book, so I didn't want to like write in it. But I had like pages of notes I was taking as I was reading other people's work. So just, just like you go fly with somebody and you're you're writing down notes about the best way to set up instruments or or whatever it is, kind of the same attitude. Um, I'm a little, (laughs) a little obsessive when it comes to new hobbies or new things like this. So I would actually go out and find good podcasts to listen to, like while I was running and like this kind of a full immersion thing. So I want I wasn't doing the actual writing and like going back and editing or whatever. I'd be listening to podcasts about writing. I'd be reading a book about writing or reading a book by someone who was already well-established and like, how did they do this? What did they do well? You know, that kind of thing. So,
2: do you, Adam, can I, can I jump yeah, in real
0: quick? Jump in, Bo.
2: So uh, well, one thing I've noticed from talking to Nick and, and I've seen it too is, you know, tying back to the, the very first question, what made you want to write a book? And then going on to how did you gain that expertise? For me, it all boils down to having something to say. Um, when I started writing on TPN, it was like the, the same people or a different person every week was having the same problem as everybody else, the same question, the same mistake. And, and I, I was like, well, I, I can answer that. I can answer it well and thoroughly and effectively. And I really wanted to get that out there. So that's why I started writing. And, and that's just kind of how my writing has progressed. It's, I've got something important to say, and it, it, it's so important to me to get it out of the world that is, I can't not write it. And that's kind of what I get when I when I talk to Nick and you hear him writing about this too. He's got there's these problems in the world, right? This tribalism in our country and our and our world and, and the ideas of privilege and entitlement and all this kind of stuff. And and he's he's thought it through and he's got something to say about it. And this is the perfect opportunity to to kind of wrap it all up in one neat package and hand it out to people to to kind of think about. Yeah. So I, I, I think that yeah.
0: No, I find you- a fascinating way of doing it too, Nick, is in this uh in this fictionized way uh Mm -hmm. it's a it harkens back to a different time you know when you read you know like atlas shrugged or, or or these older novels 1984 um that are not just entertainment i mean some of them are pretty dark don't don't get me wrong um And you don't I don't think you necessarily need to go down that road all the time in anything you read write, or entertain yourself with darkness is not always the greatest thing that's out there, Um, even though i'm a masochist who watches nothing but documentaries that do not. (laughs) end.
1: So Jason Jason's point about wanting to say something is is huge, I think, and uh, you know, so when I when I was at SOS I got I got a chance to put together a uh, it's like a 20 minute TED talk style lecture with uh, a guy named Jason Womack who um, already published author. He teaches at the leader development course there for uh, pre-squadron command. And Jason's an amazing human. But um, as we were developing this, we were trying to figure out what what's the so what behind teaching people how to tell a story. And we came up with, uh, you you tell people a story. So like a fiction story, whether it's a short story, a novel, or you know a story at the bar, because you want them to talk because of the story, not necessarily just about the story so so when you when you have something to say you want people to engage with it yeah. you want them to to pick that apart and and really analyze it and and think about things not just talking about what happened in the story but talking because of the story
0: yeah that, that makes so much sense i mean in a lot of capacities right like take it back to flying when we're in the cockpit if you're talking at somebody, or you're telling them to do something, and you get no return or engagement back, you don't know if they're checked out of the situation, and that's the last thing you want, especially on uh, if if you're in a situation like we've we've seen over the last couple of days. Uh, not to put too time stampy of it of on this, but uh, there's a lot of interesting things happening in Afghanistan right now with people that we we know uh, or people uh, communities that we know and if you don't have engagement in in situations like that with everybody uh on the crew uh that's problematic and i think i think to one step further is when you're telling a story you need whether it's a briefing writing a book uh having a podcast telling a story if you don't have everybody involved on the same page uh, i kind of think of it as the other thing that we've seen jason you can speak to this uh, more than anybody we've seen a huge uptick in uh incidents with passengers on the airlines right now i mean it's so much so that it's gotten not only uh, notoriety in the news but it's been on any major airline you can go to their websites and see how that they're handling these things differently uh, and responding to them in ways and i think one of the crazy parts is is, um, more now more than ever the folks who are involved that be purser lead flight attendant, uh, captain, all that whole team. Uh, everybody needs to be on the page on the same page more than ever. There is no more show up. Hey, briefing is standard with the lead flight attendant. We're going to, you know, it's LaGuardia to Boston that that's over. Those days are gone. Like you kind of got to be one team and you really have to be that way. It's different in the air force. We know that most times crews are much tighter. They hang out with each other. They see each other a lot more often but i think uh putting that aviation spin on it is when you're trying to tell a story you're you are you're encouraging engagement and you're not only are you encouraging it you you need it you that's a lifeblood for you as the author my my right in saying that guys like i said absolutely yeah so engagement is what you seek especially i mean pilot math treasure bath obviously that's engagement you want to see people doing do, trying to do what you're asking them to do,
2: right? And reach out and hey, I'm I'm having trouble with this, or here's my situation. How can how can you help me apply that idea to to my situation? Sure, that's that's what it's all about. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and and Nick, I'm sure you learned about engagement heavily. I mean, when you're talking to a bunch of uh, young captains uh, down at SOS, and I will, I am now now uh <laughs> bar, I'm going to withhold all judgment or my feelings on military specifically air force pme right here so nick there's there's this is a uh what, what do they call one of those global gyms a judgment-free zone
1: oh, my, yeah, absolutely
0: yeah we're my crossfit gym we call it the uh the judgment filled zone <laughs> kind of a joke but um with that said if you had me at sos the last thing you were going to get was engagement because most likely i was going to go out have a big night every night the night prior to going in and you're going to say hey uh uh, pilot adam engage and i'd be like yeah okay uh (laughs) do i need a 70 to pass the test i'll get a 70 then so don't worry about it you just go back to standing up in front there Um, and here's
1: here's where storytelling like really dives in because like i i'm I'm not naive i know exactly (laughs) what the students are probably (laughs) thinking coming in and you know like it It changes, but there's obviously there's a mean, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can find a way to tell somebody a story about the thing you're trying to talk about, you can get them to talk because of your story, not about it. And that was where I originally like found this idea of like engagement. Even if you're intentionally like leaving things out where people would be like, oh, hang on a second. That's engagement, Mm -hmm. right? For sure. Yeah, spot on
2: also good is is not just you standing in front of the room telling your own story but getting the people around the room to start telling their stories and i i had a great time at sos i I was so old i had to get a waiver to go you know i i was i was checked out i could care less about sos and i did great there because i sat around and, and engaged and told stories and it was a really great experience right so that's you know that's kind of why i i wanted us to get together today here is i want the members of the pilot network to start telling their stories. Yeah. I, I want to hear those stories and I want to engage with them on those stories.
0: Yeah. And that and so sorry go there's, ahead. there's
1: appreciate it. No, there's so there's a great caveat to that of like publishing the things so so Jason went the uh went the went the route of just you know if all else fails do it yourself. Right. Um and I, I know there's a lot of people that go into any book, but uh he he had the uh the forethought and the uh, energy to to self-publish which is amazing. But the the outfit that I've gotten involved with, um, they're a nonprofit publisher, so basically any money that is raised in pre-sales goes towards paying the people that do the work. But part of this this is you get to define whatever you want for your author community. So um, I've chosen that everybody who gets involved to the point of like pre-ordering a book, or even if it's like just a, an ebook, it doesn't matter. Um, Engage them with the process. So, sending sending uh, pieces of the book out early, um, getting to vote on the cover art. You know, I, I can't pay for plane tickets, but we're going to have a, a launch party in Austin, Texas. If anybody happens to be in Austin, right? So, it's really about trying to build that community and share the expertise around, as opposed to just like a transaction. And that's that's what I really think is important about the storytelling piece of of writing these days. Is it's not just about, you know the the classic image of somebody with a typewriter and a a bottle of scotch just hammering away late into the night it's it's a group of people who get together and they tell better stories
0: because there's more of them well and you just said engagement right that's engagement hey i want you part of this process because the story i can take the story only so far and i can write it's all up in my head and put it out and but but the the author i've always felt this you know i've heard author brings the words to life or you know whatever and i'm like yeah, that's true, but as the reader, I'm not there just being led around by my nose. Like I, I, have, to do, I have to do some of the work too. And when I read certain books, uh, I don't read nearly as much as I used to. Um, thank you, nine month old. Uh, but when I do read and I'm, I'm engaged in the book and I'm really digging in and learning and I can feel that, I am, that the world is starting to close off and I'm, I'm immersed in the book, the author laid the groundwork for that but it was up to me to let the rest of it kind of unfold and and i think what what i hear you saying is you want that but not only do you want that in your book you want that in the way that you're you're telling the story with okay hey i want you guys to vote on on uh cover i want i want you you, hey you want to reach out to me after you read a part of the book and be like i mean you almost got you you could have hundreds of editors right there saying I didn't understand what you were trying to say and it made it confusing or hard for me to, to read. And then you can go, well, you can go back and look at that stuff. I mean, how cool is that to be able to have that access that that didn't happen before.
1: Yeah. And it's so, and this is, this is something that anybody can do. Like part of, part of the, uh, the, I guess they they call it the author boot camp that they put you through um, Mm -hmm. is like learning where to go to find people who are interested in these sorts of things, but also, you know, just making connections with people who have similar interests, like, I probably know more people who are either interested in science fiction or write science fiction now than I did even 30 days ago at the beginning of this of this book campaign. So, um, yeah, that that idea of a community that that creates the story is uh, is hugely powerful and something that I've noticed that um, just talking with other authors, like you know, there's always the acknowledgement section in like the front of the book where there's like, hey, thanks to Susie, Tom, and Bill for their amazing you know inputs. There's usually At least 100 other names that just didn't make it on there that have either added an idea or pointed out that you know hey this character wouldn't do this because x y and z or like hey i had an experience that was this and that makes this whole section seem like unrealistic and so like all of those things it's it really is everybody making it better together
0: Yeah, teamwork makes the dream work no doubt (laughs) Uh, that's for sure i think Well, I think I, I, okay, I have some, like, just these are more logistical, I guess, type questions, like, for everybody's busy, quote, unquote, you know, I I do have a saying about that, though, busy people are never too busy to tell you how busy they are. (laughs) And I was once uh, I quote that from a dear friend, uh, Trey, who wrote on my litho, uh, you never ever did that, which I appreciate that Trey. I don't know what that says about me. I think it says that I, I knew how to best manage my time. Uh, anyways how do you how does an author who has a life especially a full-time job full-time family full-time everything how do you organize and schedule your writing how do you do you where do you where do you find the time to fit it in your schedule and then when so that's the one logistical side that's like the when right and then how do you how do you get away from distraction when you're writing and i think this is that's also this is also really good because a lot of us suffer from distraction now when we're trying to study and when we're trying to do stuff aviation related so i think there's there's a two piece there's the the when do you find the time and then how do you make that time the most valuable you can you can make it
1: jason you want to take a swig at this one first
0: i'll start sure so uh
2: for me Being a pilot is the perfect profession to be a writer. Uh, As a military pilot, I deployed a whole lot. Deployments are great. You've got all this time in your hand, right? I I had time to go fly a combat mission, come back, get some chow, hit the gym, go write a bunch, and then still go hit the gym again, go get some more chow, and hang out with the buddies in in the common room. And it's just all this time in your hand. So put it to good use and and figure out what it is that you wanna say, and, and then just use that time to your advantage. And then uh, on the same token, being an airline pilot is a great job for being a writer because all you need is a, a keyboard, a computer with you and you, you can go write wherever you are, right? And so you have to go to work. Oh oh goodness, I've got to go to work and I'm in this random town in a, a nice hotel. Okay, I'm gonna go out, buy the FO some beers and have some dinner and then we're gonna come back and, and I'm gonna go write my book or you know maybe I'll write before dinner if that's gonna impede your uh, capacities there.
0: Yeah, but uh, Hemingway seemed to do okay. <laughs>
2: There you go. Yeah, but but it's it's great, right? So, as a pilot, take advantage of those opportunities. So, some people I don't know what they do on layovers because they they seem to get nothing done, and you know they're tired. And well, there's tons of time to sleep and do everything else and work out, and and then pick something else to do. So it's great for me on on those times. Um, at home, you know, frequently it's it's me fitting it in at night after the the kids are asleep, or or uh, you know if it's if it's early morning, uh, maybe they're at school and I can write then. That's me. What about you, Nick?
1: So yeah, definitely um, the the aviation lifestyle really leans itself towards that. So um, it's funny because like I've gotten to talk to a lot of authors that are that are not pilots, they're not in the military, and there's this there's this general like, well, you know, everybody has their own process and there's no wrong way to do things. I'm like, that's true, but there's an efficient way to do things. <laughs> so um, my, uh, my, my take on it is definitely like you, Jason, you use all your time to your advantage. I actually, like for my website, um, I would dictate an article into my phone as I was driving into work,
2: mm-hmm.
1: just to, the speech to text. And then like I take 20 minutes over lunch and like just go through and do a quick line edit, clean it up, make sure there's like typos and things. And did, did it actually say what I thought I was saying. Uh, and there you go. Boom. That's that's an idea. That's a thought. If you're writing a nonfiction book, you just started a chapter. Yeah. Right, and it's way easier to expand on ideas that you already have down than it is to just sit there and stare at a blank screen and go, "I think stuff." Right. Um, so, so that's one way to do it. Um, the The other side of it is, uh, I don't, I don't like to go into the the full up writing process, especially for fiction, um, until I have a good, solid idea of what the arc of the story is i I break that rule in my book because i didn't know what i was doing i did a lot of learning while i was actually writing the book but um for short stories now i wrote one last week it was it was an interesting thought and idea uh, that i had to ask myself like well who does this hurt because that's usually where the story is right who's going to get changed by this who has to learn and grow from it uh and then like what do they do and how do they change and once i can answer those questions and have it kind of framed out the writing pretty much just flows at that point um
0: do you, do you logistically ask, sorry, yeah sorry yeah i was i was gonna say because i was about to go into the whole flow thing and people write and you know i've heard mm-hmm. okay just start writing and something will good come out of out of it if you write so, yeah, which i yeah not necessarily <laughs> agree with on that uh, <laughs> ask me about my papers in college uh but when uh, uh when can you because that's not always at the same times right of the day or whatever so when you logistically are able to maximize especially if you write for an hour and a half and it's garbage and you're like well this is all garbage i can't i don't want to i don't want to use any of this stuff material so how do you logistically fit that flow state in if you don't know when it's coming
1: absolutely so it depends on if you're a morning person or an evening person Uh, i happen to be the same as jason where like after i have done the bedtime and like sang all the songs and like kids are asleep it'll be like all right we're not watching TV tonight. I'm just gonna, I have this story idea, or I have this, I'm gonna go look at my, my chapter synopsis and, and figure out where, the, you know, where, pick things back up and away you go. You can do that in the morning too. Uh, a lot of people will write early in the morning because like nobody's awake yet. Um, they're still somewhat fresh, you know, they don't have the weight of the day on their shoulders, that kind of thing. Um, but I think as long as you figure out what works for you and then like make a contract with yourself, right? Like kind of going back to the aviation side of things, like I said that I'm gonna do these things at these times every day and you can't, you know, life's gonna interfere. You know, the kids are gonna wake up in the middle of the night and you can't write in the morning cause you're tired or things like that. But um, it really is a habit. So, you know, I would, I would crank out two to 3000 words every night when I was writing the novel, partly cause I'd set it up so I knew where things were going and I didn't have to do that, that hard brain work. But partly just to be in the habit. Like the more you write, the better it will be. Um, and my last thought for this rant, sorry, <laughs> is uh, the the idea that you can write for an hour and a half and it's all garbage and it's useless. That doesn't mean it was a waste. Sure. Right. You yeah. you were writing, you were practicing, you were thinking, and your thoughts evolve, and now you no longer agree with what you said before, or whatever it is. But like, that's an important part of it.
0: Yeah. So. Well, yeah, like. But, uh- Think, think of all the bad flights that you'd had in school or flying mm-hmm. or you know wherever and you flew like absolute you know garbage and you're like, well shit, that was a complete waste of a day in the air no you you you're probably really learned terrible. more from that flight than you learned from the next ten that were you know relatively flawless. there's nothing perfect, but that went pretty well you probably depends went, on who you are yeah, depends yeah. <laughs> when you're me you most of your flights are pretty garbage, so you learn a lot every time you go fly. So I that that's how I that's how I operate, anyways. Well, all right. So we got to get to something that pilots really care about, right, Jason? I mean, you wrote a whole book on it. Um, money. Yeah. <laughs> Jason probably can speak more to this right now because he's had a published book for uh oh what, 16, 18 months now.
2: Yeah, somewhere around there.
0: Yeah, somewhere right around there uh nick's coming up on the on the on the big publish the big the the first big one how how can a pilot make uh, money telling their story their history uh as it were uh, to start encapsulating some of the stuff that's happened especially with our generation of pilots who've served in this current regime militarily but i also on the civilian side let's not forget that it's been an interesting road i i have never I've not seen a book, they might exist, uh, about the what I like to call it the other group affected, not the dead zone pilot. For those of you who don't know what the dead zone pilots are, they're the guys who had frozen or lost retirements, who've been furloughed. Uh, they can't make enough money from now until the end of their career to earn back what they lost in retirement. And they're, so they're essentially called the dead zoners. But I always said there was a double dead zone. And the second one was the regional folks out there who were essentially promised when they started this whole career field after plugging down 100 grand to get a a, a, a quick uh, whip around and turn into a regional pilot, uh, they got stuck at an airline that they never made more than 40 or 50 grand a year in for, um, and that was after they made 20 20 grand and then 28 and then 32 and then 36 yeah. and then 40 their sixth year. And they never made more than that over seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years and then when the hiring did start, they had so many hours that they were out of this kind of pocket, this window where airlines didn't necessarily hire them. I I, I know a couple of people who kind of they never got hired, or that or took them in increasingly longer time than they thought. I have never seen a story written by anybody talking about that story or the regional story, the fact that nobody outside of airline pilots, I mean, most military pilots don't even realize that. They'll get on a jet. I mean, they do now because of the interactions we have with reserve and guard guys and pilots talk a lot more. Maybe that was the pilot network. I don't know, there was a lot of stuff out there that did that, but when the, you get on a regional jet, you're not getting on the mainline carriers aircraft. You're not flying with the mainline crew. You're not flying, it say, it may say Delta or United on the side, but that's not, that's not who's operating that airplane. Nobody's written that story on the regional airlines and how many regional airlines there were and how many there aren't any longer. Um, With that said, so there's all these stories. I mean, we're literally talking about hundreds, maybe 1000s of stories that hold unique and valued value added interest to people inside and outside of aviation. With that said, uh, I want to get rich off of uh, some writing. How do I, I? Okay, maybe not rich, but how can I make money? Can I make some money? Can I make it worth my while? Is Can I do that?
2: Yeah. It's, so it's tough, you know, having, having published my book and it's been out there for a while, I don't think I will ever get rich from pilot math treasure bath, ironically. Um, but I'm, I'm not an eggs, all your eggs in one basket kind of person on that. So for me, that's, that's just a piece in the puzzle. It's, it's one step along a, you know, a line of publishing, uh, know that that, that i'll do over the course of my life sure and every every time you uh you publish something new it kind of builds on it they say the best way to market a book is to publish something new and say oh by the way i also wrote that having written pilot math treasure bath i've got all these other opportunities to do other writing yeah some of it's online some of it's for for other stuff and all that other stuff is also making money and is it is it life-changing money not necessarily but it's it's the most lucrative side hustle i've ever had so that there is some money to be made out there. Uh, I, I don't think you can just plan to publish one book and, and do it half-heartedly and, and expect to make any money off of it. But if you're willing to, to have that reader engagement and you're willing to, to put in some effort to marketing and if you're, you're interested in not just publishing this one little thing, but maybe maybe continue a little bit, there's definitely money to be made out there.
0: Nick, do you have uh, yeah. anything to weigh in yet on, on, on that piece? Hopes and dreams?
1: hopes and dreams for sure. Um, so interesting piece on writing and publishing in general, the, the freelance writing market is, is much more of like, it's a job you get paid, you know, sometimes by the words, sometimes articles, that kind of thing. Um, I messed around with, uh, with doing some freelance work via Fiverr for a while. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's when I realized I was like doing something I thought was fun. But, like people pay you money for that. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like I bought a couple of hamburgers, but it wasn't, you know, but it was there. It was the most money I've ever made on a hobby. Like instead of going and buying that brand new table saw that costs you $10,000 and you only use like six times a year, you know, it's, it was just cultivating that, um, publishing these days, uh, the, the people who are making the big bucks, uh, you know, the New York times, bestselling authors, et cetera. And I'll tell you right now, Probably a bad career choice on my part, but there's way more money in nonfiction than there is in fiction, um, except for a few people, right? So they got the the big five uh, publishers out there, and everybody's an imprint of you know somebody. But uh, nowadays, if you if you want to self publish, if you want to retain all those rights, um, you you aren't getting thirty cents on the dollar for the for every you know book you sell. You're getting all of it, um, and you know you can you can approach that in many different ways. If you're trying to just let's see if this works. Um, you don't have to pay for a whole bunch of you know, heavy editing. You can just show it to your friends and do all the work yourself and be you know, produce a book for like a hundred bucks. Just throw it up on Amazon and, and away you go. Um, on the other hand, you can, you can get weird with it. Like the, uh, the reason that um, I'm doing this funding drive is because I am plugged into, you know, there's three different acquiring editors that my, my book's been through. I'm working with a managing editor right now Once that's done, it's going to go on to typesetting, line editing and proofreading, and then they're going to be creating different layouts for the different um, paperback and hardback and so on. And so like you can hire people to do that, or you can do it yourself, and and, you know it's it's a little more money up front, but you get a a different product at the back end of it. Um, But here's the thing that Jason mentioned, if you know, once you have written a book, you write another book, if you've self-published these, you hold all of the rights to this. So, if in 10 years Jason's book just like takes off in Germany and they want to translate it into German, you know, he can sell the German language rights to his book and have it distributed in Germany and he gets money from that. So, um, it's not like the old days when you, you know, people would buy your book from you from the big publishing house and like, oh, I got my advance. It's like I got a $50,000 advance. That's a loan on your book eventually making money. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely money to be made out there. Um, if you want more information on how to become a successful author, like as a side hustle, there's a Facebook group that's been amazing. Um, they're called 20 books to 50 K. And as you might gather from the name, like the theory is if you have 20 books out there, each title makes you some money. You can clear $50,000 a year with, with 20 products. Now, keep in mind, when Jason finishes his hardback second edition and then he records his audio book. Now he's got three or four products on the market just from the one book. So.
0: Yeah. And I think to get more into the weeds on that stuff, for those who are interested in going on this road and Jason's offered up lots of help. Uh, yeah. Those who want to so reach out to me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, same here, man.
0: Yeah. So I think, and we'll, we'll make sure that your all the stuff's in the show notes with your contact information and how to get a hold of you guys, the best way to get hold of you. Uh, because I agree, um, I I think I've always been a fan of hey, re- diversify revenue streams. And in this crazy world of aviation, especially if you're a guard reserve airline pilot, uh, active duty, to some extent, it it, it should be uh, without saying that you should think about this. But
2: you should start while uh, you're on active duty. Yeah, you start, you start for sure. So you've got something established yeah. when you move on. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And whether what whatever it is, but I, I will say uh being in this game for 20 some years uh or co- closing in on 20 some years rapidly uh if you think that you're in a secure position because you're a AGR at a guard base card base you're uh, you're crazy yeah. uh or a technician at a reserve unit on an act you're nuts like uh, times they are changing and that is the only constant in this industry it's always 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 changing you can look at an airline pilot and go wow they have the man that's an up and down lifestyle well yeah. you're right but uh if you don't think you're in the same boat uh you are you may have a good financial stability but if you're an agr in let's say new hampshire and they decide that they no longer want kc-46 is there and they decide to move everything to grand forks with a guard unit well if you want to stay employed, you're moving to Grand Forks. Now you may have kids and you may have been there for 15 years and they may be in high school now or whatever the case is. Well, you're either going there by yourself. And I know guys who do that right now, or you're moving up in the family to, uh, to Grand Forks and you're, you're, you're over there in RDR. So just, these are insights on the broader scheme of pilot lifestyle aviation, how to, how to uh, best set yourself up for success. Uh, off of the beaten path of I fly airplane, I make money, I go home, which is a good way to do it. Don't get me wrong. I love that too. But there's other ways to do it. So I think this is where I want to see, uh, and I want specifics out of you guys. So none of this generalized nonsense. Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Jason, then we'll go to Nick. Jason, what are the three stories that you want uh, written about from pilots in the pilot network?
2: Uh, I mean, I I could go a lot more than three. Uh, well, well, I know uh, you
0: can. This is more yeah. Nick. I because okay. Nick's probably not as prepared for this question. I know, I know what you're all about. So that.
2: well, you know, there's there's so much great literature about World War II, the Battle of Britain, the Eighth Air Force, uh, even Vietnam. There's so many great stories. Um, there is almost nothing about flying in Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria over the past twenty or thirty years. Yeah. We, we need we need to tell those stories, you know, if, if nothing else, just for the, the sake of humanity and, and recording our history, I want to hear about that stuff. Um, and another one is that, that I want to hear, one, one of the best aviation books ever written is called Fate is the Hunter. And like you were mentioning, Adam, it is an all civilian pilot. He was never in the military. It's all about being a civilian pilot and it's fantastic. So there are, there's all kinds of great stories to be written about civilian airline aviation that should get told. Yeah. Um, and then the, the other thing I think that, that needs to happen more is in our world, you know, with, with kids and video games and Minecraft and YouTube. And my, my kids have this idea that they watched on YouTube and they thought it was cool. And since they've watched it, they're capable of doing it. And they're as cool as the person who did it in the video. And that's not the case. And what what we need is to get kids people interested in aviation mm-hmm. and and all the cool things you can do out there and not just you know to tell a story for somebody to consume but to inspire these kids to go out and become pilots and and pursue that adventure because there's adventure out there to be had and it's a lot better and more useful for our world for them to go do that than, than sit watching YouTube yeah all right
0: so Nick your top
1: three all stories right. top three so um, we're gonna do we're gonna do uh, past present future I want to hear the story about the one moment that inspired you to spend your life trying to become an aviator. Uh, That's the story I wrote this last week. You know, I, I'd known the story. I've told it verbally lots of times before, but it didn't really, you know, it didn't really crystallize until I like sat down to like, I want to tell this story. I want to make people feel what I felt, you know, in that moment and, and really draw that in. And that's, that's why stories are powerful because you don't want to just tell people what happened to you. You want them to feel what you feel, feel that inspiration, you know, like Jason was saying to to get into aviation and to to be a part of it and all the awesome things. So that's the past. Um, Present, uh, I wanna hear the story about what being involved in the aviation lifestyle and whether it's, you know, learning how to study like we talked about earlier or just getting out and experiencing more than your six block radius. Um, What has aviation done for you right now? What's that story? Um, and then in the future, uh, what do you see aviation looking like when it's your turn to retire, when it's your kid's turn to retire, where do we go from here? You know, um, I, I've been diving relatively deep into the, into the futurist podcasts and, uh, and a lot of the stuff that you can find on like, um, streaming services and whatnot, and thinking about what aviation looks like in the future, whether it's Robots drones remote piloted whether it's single pilot multi pilot like whatever it is, um, we need to know more different ideas about what the future of aviation might look like. Um, Partly because it will help inspire you know people that are thinking about it right now if, if it's like that's a crazy idea I never thought of that, but also, this is how you get anywhere is you have a huge number of new different ideas. And you know, if we as, a, as an aviation community, as, a, as the pilot network is across the world, right? If we all come up with an idea of what we think the future is going to look like, imagine how many different options that is and how many people are going to be inspired by that. And one of those might be the way, or it might lead to the way, or it might change you know, the, the course of aviation as we go forward. So um, those are
0: my three pretty, three pretty good ones. I, uh, I want to, uh, I want to, I, I, I actually want to jump in and say my three, I was going yeah. to keep it myself, but I was like, I, I got my three. Cause my, I think my three are very specific events. Okay. occurred. Um, so right now, uh, I think, uh, I will go, uh, present, past, past, uh, presently, uh, w- the Afghanistan, the Kabul airlift, I think is going to be one of the most unique and interesting stories that have come out of being a mobility uh, pilot in the in in my in my other life, never having flown anything with a pointy nose. um, I think this is the most it probably not since the hump Has or anything been this unique or interesting in in this world. And and I'm not I'm not making a comment one way or the other on uh, the all the politics and BS regarding this if I don't care about that. But what I am talking about is the actual Physical act of what the crew was doing from the time that they got up in the morning to what happened when they landed and went into crew rest that night. I, yeah. I, that that one day story is uh, is is amazing, and I hope they're on the way to being able to do that. And uh, they should seek out uh, some professional authoring advice uh, because that is a book that needs to be written and read. The other thing uh, I want to say as a side, total sidebar caveat, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, if that. If this singular event didn't uh, change people's opinions on why we're not going to be having zero pilot operation aircraft for a very, very long time, I don't know what will. Uh, the world isn't as pristine and nice as you think it is, especially in aviation. All right, uh, so that's number one. Uh, number two, and this one will probably surprise uh, a lot of people. Um, I would like to see, and maybe I'm the guy for this, but I don't think I had enough time in it is I would like to see somebody write a book about contract aviation, uh, in specifically in Afghanistan. Uh, but that, honestly, if somebody just wrote a book of a who had a who had a lengthy career in contract aviation, starting because I I I was contract aviator uh, for a brief period, and so my my book would be short. It'd be a short story. Uh, but there's guys who've done it for many many years. Um, and I say guys, cause I've never met a woman in contract aviation who wasn't a manager, so, which is problematic. Jason, we've talked about I, that. It is.
2: I know, I know a couple there's, there's women yeah. out there. Doing, yeah, there's doing there ain't many, there, so. if,
0: if you think there's few, very few military and airline pilots going to the contract world, there is yeah. way fewer there than probably anywhere else. So, uh, kudos to them who do it. Anyways, uh, that story of being part of that contract group flying, uh, in, under contracts for. I don't even know how many different agencies in the in the in the military, outside of the military, um, internationally. I mean, it's wild, it's a wild, wild west. And the closest I've ever read to anything like that, um, I think it was called Pirates Inc. or I think it's called Pirates Inc. It's uh, it's about how the the when the fall of the Soviets, uh fall of Soviet Union, how a lot of Russian aircraft went missing and how a lot of Russian pilots took them and flew them all over the world. Uh it's a great the first half of the book is really great. The second half of the book, it's a, a touch on the redundant side um, but it's fascinating and I think some of that uh, flowed over into the contract world but there's nothing written on contract work nothing nobody even knows nobody knows anything about that world I mean what's behind it I mean they think the yeah. you know, made in America Barry Seal story is accurate which it's not um, but with that said that's about as close as you're going to get to hearing anything about contract work down south of the border on the other side of the table the, the contracts they had with them with the cartels. Um and then the uh uh the, the other past is I would like to see a book written by somebody and I don't know who it would be or whatever is how and, and I don't even know how to really put this together but and I I don't even know how this book would be written or how it'd be structured but When I was in Afghanistan as a contract worker, and a lot of it revolves around Afghanistan, the same could be said for Iraq, but I don't have as many personal interests in Iraq because I I was never boots on the ground there, Um, is air-based defense. Uh, There was drones, helicopters, all this goofy stuff that was going on that none of us knew what was, and nobody knew what it was. You'd all of a sudden, you just hear some Apaches take off, but there's all this other goofy stuff that was happening. And with that, to a slightly bigger picture, is how the hell do they set up airspaces over these countries, and in some cases not change them for eons, and in other cases flex them back and forth and change them all the time, and the management of that outside of what we know is you know a, a, maybe a tanker guy or an F sixteen guy or whatever, but how these things evolved into the whole battle airspace picture. And I want to hear a planner's perspective, a pilot's perspective, an air band, I, I want to hear everybody in the aviation group. And I don't want to hear it written in an, in an air force paper. I want to see this in some sort of, um, kind of culmination of a novel or not enough, but a nonfiction book with the whole lead up and how they figured all this stuff out. And I know that there's pieces of that out there, but there's nothing that incorporates the whole thing. Not that I know of, maybe it is out there. And uh, I think that would be fascinating Uh, as a pilot. I don't think outside, there's no money to be made in that book because there's not a lot of people who would find that very fascinating outside of military strategists and nerds who are aviation buffs. But other than that, I think, um, I think that would be a fascinating book just to sit down. Might be a tough read though because I think a lot of it would get dry, but a good author and a good reader they'll make it work. Right. So those there's are my, th-
2: a, there's a way to make that work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Those are, those are my three. I'm, I didn't set any of that stuff up, so I have no idea how to write those books. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think we encapsulated a lot of, uh, it was, there was some laundry list of how tos, but it was a real one-on-one. And that to me is a good entry level piece for a lot of people that are out there <laughs> who are thinking, man, I got the story to tell but eh, I don't have time. Well, you do have time. Um, and your story is really important. As Jason said, we don't have a lot of historical pieces written about right now. And the best time to write them is right now where you remember them. And there's blog posts and there's Instagram and there's all that stuff that's out there. And that's nice, but that's not, that's not a historical that's not historical evidence that this occurred in the way it occurred. You know, That's not gonna be stored in the, in the library of Alex yeah, yeah. Yeah, forever. So um, this is, I, I do believe that this is really critical. And, and the other thing is, is to take these stories and then turn them into what they can be used and that's to make everybody better at their job. Like yeah. it, it, the lessons that we're gonna learn out of this cobble stuff, isn't just about the, uh, the fact that these that, that people died. In an, in an unfortunate accident that there was people that you know broke into the runway but planning intelligence uh, uh the the actual in route stuff why were you know all that where was everything where were the support agencies and all this there's gonna be so much that comes out of this when it's when it's run <clears throat> through the wash and in my personal opinion i believe that uh the the all, every one of these crews should be given DFCs on the spot and harrowed and, and considered heroes for what they've done. Um, I mean, it's pretty amazing stuff. I mean, I, I would like to get in a whole podcast where we just talk about this. Cause I, I think it's one of the most fascinating and important events that have happened in, for military airlift. And like I said, probably since the Berlin airlift really truly. Okay. Um, anyway, so I hate to go down that road again, but, um, with that said, I think you guys really put a nice, uh, presentation together for how why people should write books nick i want to thank you for doing uh what you're doing because i'm a science fiction fan and honestly i've been looking for a good science fiction book uh so i will be uh i'll be ordering yours here shortly um with that said uh we have to move on to the most important part jason you don't get to answer this because you've already done it before i don't want to so yeah you don't get to um (laughs) It's kind of a, it's kind of a, the dumbest thing that we do, but since it's been done on every podcast, we have to continue. It's boldface for you, Air Force guys, memory items for you, uh, airline guys, Navy dudes. You, I don't think you have, you don't have to remember anything. You Just go up and be like, hey, do what you want. <laughs> see if this works. That's why I always say I should have flew Navy. Anyways, um, so you can make it relevant to whatever you want to, Nick. This is this is your opportunity to run wild, um, and uh, you. You just answer right off the cuff, however you feel. So, uh, number one. So, here, your first bold face for people to remember is if you could change one thing about professional flying, what would it be?
1: No, no. So, here we go. I'm not, not to speech. Good, good bold face oh, is short speeches. and it's memory items, right? Uh, so, um, uh, you did it. if I could change one thing, uh, I would change that uh, professional flying is for everybody there's, there's a myth out there that like, you have to be a certain way, you have to be a certain type of person that you have to have certain skills or whatever, like now professional flying is for everybody. So that's what I would, that's what I would change.
0: Couldn't agree more, dude, uh, spot on. Professional flying is for everybody. Jot it down, folks. Remember that, take, take it with you. Teach your kids that, have them teach their friends that too. Okay, number two, the one thing that folks listening today should take away from your experiences in aviation and writing a book. I mean, we didn't talk much about your aviation experience. It really wasn't what the podcast is kind of about today, but how you took those aviation military experiences into your authoring and authorship now and how it could help some of the members out there do the same thing or maybe venture off somewhere else in life or venture into a different field of aviation, try something totally new and, and on, uh, uh on, Un- unthought of before to them. So how how would you how would you go about that?
1: Okay, I got a good one for this one. It's um, whatever you think, you're right. Like,
2: Spoken like a true pilot. I
1: love, I'm I'm yeah. serious though. Like if you if you think you're going to be a bad writer, you're going to be a bad author. Like I'm going to be a terrible storyteller. Then you're right. If you think that you can tell good stories and you put yourself you know out there and, and you do the research and you do the practice, you'll be a great storyteller. You know, if, if you think you couldn't possibly, you know, get out of, you know, one airframe into another, if you're like, oh, I can't do that. I can't, you're right. So whatever you think you're right.
0: Yeah. And that, I think, I like that, whatever you think you're, you're right. uh, That the the big caveat there is um, not when you go and talk to your significant other and say, Hey, (laughs) I think that I should do nothing and you should take care of everything around the house, and I'm right because Nick said so. That's not what. He's
2: <laughs> Good luck with that one.
0: Con- context is important. I will. Context I will totally is, admit it. that. Yep. Context is <laughs> it. Well, context is pretty important for uh, for boldface too. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, true statement. Context is important, but what 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 you think, you are right. So I like that because I've always said power of positive thinking, which is kind of a BS statement, anyways. But it's always if I put my mind to it, uh, most likely I can achieve it, but I gotta put the work in for it. Not just, I can yes. think it, make it happen. You gotta put the work in too. So I like that you think it, uh, what you think you're right. All right. Um, okay, now we're gonna, you like that, you like, obviously you're a futurist, you like looking forward. So number three, distant future, say pick an age, but it has to be post retirement. So somewhere in at least past 55 minimum. What's future Nick going to look back at younger Nick and say, dude, you need to do this, uh, or you need to keep doing this, or you need to stop doing that? What's the one thing he's going to tell you?
1: And, you know, I I was going to try and, like, get into something, like, new and different, but uh, honestly, like, it's going to sound corny. Just believe in yourself. Um, Like, there's there's too much nowadays where uh, we're – people, people deal with, you know, you know, whether it's the jokes about crippling self-doubt or whatever it is that like, it's become a a normal part of the conversation. And like people do suffer from depression and, and that's, that's, you know, a terrible cross to bear, but if you can believe in yourself, if you can choose to believe in yourself, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, um, it's going to make things better. Uh, and I went through a solid we'll we'll call it 25 years uh of of not believing in myself and uh and when I finally decided to do that it didn't it wasn't an overnight switch didn't just make everything go away but um everything was a lot easier uh and i cuz if you don't there's going to be enough people out there that are that are trying to uh keep you from being able to do what you want to do uh, or, keep, or keep you down i guess and uh the last thing you need is to have yourself be one of those people so
0: yeah, yeah. Don't be don't be the, your own anchor. I love that. Believe in yourself. It's true. Absolutely. If you're if you're your own anchor, you can go on anywhere. So I, I like it. Um
1: also Nick, max out your retirement savings account. Just throw yes, it out there. Yes. That's
0: yeah, right. <laughs> that's yeah, that that's that Jason. Mute yourself, Jason. My no, okay. Uh, uh, well, Nick uh, and Jason, both you guys, thanks. I know uh, it's not always easy to schedule these things. I'm glad we could finally get this uh, going. We had plans for uh, prior, it just didn't work out well. Nick, uh, you have a uh, a bright future as a storyteller. Just you can tell the way you're, the way you the way you handle yourself. And I like I, I enjoyed our conversation. I can't wait to take a, a dive in your into your book. Uh, what I'd like is for you to give yourself one last plug and uh, kind of tell anybody out there where they can reach you, how they can get a hold of you and how you can, uh, how you can uh, help Nick uh, achieve his dreams of being the next Michael Crichton or Tom Clancy or JK Rowling or whoever you want to put out there.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, no, this, this has been an awesome, awesome talk. Uh, I love talking about storytelling, but like doing get to do so with a bunch of other aviators and hopefully, you know, a bunch of other other aviators listen to it. Love it. so uh, the book is called Steel in the Blood. Um, it's, the, it's the first of hopefully a series. Um, I actually already have the second one done. So uh, don't worry. Nice. You saddle up. It's going to be a fun time. Um, but uh, I'm, on, I'm on all, of the, uh, all of the, the face pages and Instagrams now. So and it's the same handle. It's just N.T. Narbatovsky. Um, if you just type in N-A-R-B-U, uh, it'll, it'll show up in Google. Uh, my website is at narbatov.com, uh, N-A-R-B-U-T-O-V.com. N-A-R-B-U-T-O-V.com. Um, and that's a great place to come just for any, any sort of good stories. I got to write the, uh, the classics column for Metastellar Magazine, and they, uh, they told me I could reprint a lot of that stuff over on my website. So if you're looking for a, a good Golden Age short read before bed, they're real nice. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, the, uh, the campaign website, I'm using Indiegogo as a platform. So if you just go over to Indiegogo and you type in steel in the blood, it should pop up. Yeah, uh, There's a pretty cool little YouTube kind of trailer looking deal. Apparently they make uh, like science fiction movie trailers for books now. I thought that was pretty neat, but uh, wow. yeah, so that's it. And you can reach out to me on social media or there's a, there's a form on my website. If you want to send me an email um, about this or anything else, anything else at all.
0: Well, Nick, thank you for joining us man i it's it's always fun to talk with uh other aviators uh jason always good to chat uh we Mm -hmm. do that more often yeah jason where can they where can they hit you up at
2: uh me uh, i'm on the pilot network that's an easy way to get me yeah Uh,
0: just
2: reach out there (laughs) and you can get me (laughs) uh if you want to see my book it's pilot math treasure bath uh there's a dot com for that or it's on amazon
0: so, folks, uh, yeah, you, you know where you can now reach those two guys. And, uh, Nick, thanks again for joining us. It's always fun to have uh, aviators doing something uh, that can be related back to aviation uh, outside of aviation in their life. We, we we truly appreciate that. I think it's pretty cool. Um, so, thanks again, man, for just spending a couple minutes with us. Uh, as far as us, that being myself or Matt, you can always reach us at heyguysatthepilotnetwork.com. If, uh, if not there, go ahead, post something in the Facebook group. You may not get an immediate response, but the uh, the bots may figure you out and stop your posting or stop your commenting. If you don't, uh, we'll, we'll come uh, just respond to us. You can always go on uh, Facebook and, and hit up the uh, uh, send us a message on our Facebook page, the pilot network instead of the group. That's an easy way to get us. But we like emails. So, hey, guys, it's pilot is your best place. If you. Um, if you're interested in this uh, writing, go hit those guys up, hit us up. Yeah. contact. reach out,
2: we're, we're happy to help.
0: Uh, Absolutely. If, if, not, if, if not though, and you just wanna fly airplanes, there's only one last thing I gotta tell you to do, and that's keep that shiny side up, and that greasy side down. Please, everybody, fly safe. Talk to you soon.